0: podcast season two episode seven how the west was fun today we're going to be talking about western themed games and we are going to give a little bit more information about the giveaway that was mentioned in the previous podcast so stay tuned for those details the other thing is our in-depth game review which today is going to be paleo joining you as always is me nathan and I'm Jackie. Welcome everyone. How have you been? Good. Good. Things are opening up more. Um, more of my friends are getting vaccinated, so I'm hopeful for not, you know, con- convention-sized game meetups, but, you know, more standard, like, five <laughs> five people <laughs> at, in a room together playing a game. So... Okay.
1: <laughs> games that are not played solo. <laughs> wait, wait. Actually, I was talking to, to friends that I play a role-playing game with online, and they were discussing doing a house con this summer. And we started saying, oh, we could rent a cabin. And then we realized, well, we have space. We could just do it here. The, the difficult thing is organizing it. But in August, we, we might do do that too. I'm almost done with the end of the semester, which means for the next three three weeks I will be submerging first and second drafts of papers. But after that, I I should be should be breathing a little bit. We have been watching a lot of TV, so our gaming has taken our in- in-week gaming has taken a, a little step back. Um but but things are good. And the weather, I hope the weather will improve again. Snow, mid-April, not unexpected,
0: but never fun. Yikes, we didn't have any snow here. Um, so speaking of mid midweek gaming, what have you played this week? This week,
1: I brought out something that you don't particularly like, that I hadn't played in a while, which is Imperial Settlers. Imperial Settlers, which is by Ignacy Travicek for Portal Games, is a... It has been now more or less replaced in the publisher's line by Imperial Settler Empires of the North uh, but I have the old version published in uh, uh, 2014 is a card game engine building game you it's one of those games where you start with very few things and then you expand a lot and grow Basically, you play cards to your tableau that can produce things that give you stuff every round, and you play uh, through five rounds. Or they can be features, things that are ongoing, like every time you play a card of one kind, get something. Or they can be actions. Then on your turn, you either pay for a card from your hand and place it in front of you on your tableau, or you activate one of the cards that you already have, or you kill a card from your hand by using a sword, which is one of the resources, or one of other people's buildings by using two swords and get the resources for that. And you have uh, basic buildings that are from a common pool, you draft some at the beginning of the round and then you can draw more with various card effects, or you have your special buildings. And that's where I think the charm of the game comes from. Every nation has their own uh, deck, and they play very differently. While the common deck provides production, so they will have forests and farms and things like that. The others are more specific, so the Romans will have encampments and terme and uh, uh, baths and arenas and things like that, while the barbarians will have altars and sacred forests and druidic circles. And the Egyptians have obviously pyramids and sphinx and things like that. And all of those have different effects, different ways to score points. And I really like how in the first round, you probably play five, seven actions. Maybe you put down three or four cards. And then at the end of the fifth round, you are playing 11 cards in a round and activating 30 of them. And you end up with 30, 35 cards on your tableau. Uh, I really like it. It's a game that took a little step back for me when they released... So there are four civilizations in the base game, and then they released two more, three more, uh, two that I don't have, Atlanteans and Amazons, and Atzix, uh is the one that I have. But that was overpowered, so we had to deck build it down, but now we have the game again in a state where we, we, we like to play it. It was fun, um, and I won by... Uh, good 10 points out of 100. So it was close, but not not a matter of, of a few points. It was fun.
0: So it's been a very long time since I've played this. like Years and years and years. This is probably one of the first games that I purchased and then I later sold. I was hustled <laughs> and I mean that by a player who said that this was like, oh, they've never played this before. Um, let's go through it. let's see you know how it is. And the person had played the game a bunch. So they I don't know why they would just lie to me. It was at a, a game night back when I was still living in Missouri, so that that's how long ago you can tell it was. So they pretended they didn't know the game. Yeah <laughs> So they had someone else teach us and then they were like, they were like, oh yeah, I, I totally knew how to play that at the end of the game i was like don't even tell me that but i was annihilated and they ended up what ended up happening was they were i think they were the romans maybe and they like raised all my stuff like all my stuff was like was unusable Mm -hmm. then i was just sitting there with all my stuff raised no way to fix it and they were completely running away doing doing what you say is supposed to happen at the, at the end of the game whereas I'm like oh I can turn this into like one resource and then maybe fix this thing so that way next turn you can kill it again yeah um okay so that's that's where my disdain for the game is seated um but I would definitely play it again I particularly don't care for buying games that I've gotten rid of. So I would probably go for Imperial Settlers, uh, Empires of the North. So then we could try it and we could check it out.
1: Yeah, it's supposed to be to be better. And I don't have, uh, oh, no, old school is better, right? I I, I have no prevention against uh, Empires of the North. It's just that when I read the rules, it has a couple of rules that seem more fun but is not a complete different experience so i have the game i have an expansion i'm i'm fine with it but I, i'll definitely try the, the new version and i think there is something to be said it's one of those games where you can teach the rules but there is a little bit of a learning curve that cannot be simply passed on so it 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 can be hard although you have uh, familiarity with card games in general so you have now a uh, a good base for it. Um, so even without going into the pretending, I don't know the game and things like that, there is still, it's not the most accessible game when you play with someone who has played it before, but there is some something to be said for for being friendlier. Uh, it, there is There are some directives that can be suggested to, to help a player do something even without telling them what to do, right?
0: Yeah, it was just... It really like pushed it way way down for me, and then that experience just sort of stuck with me. But yeah, I'm very, I'd be very interested in trying the new implementation of it, see if they've fixed anything that I didn't care for, like maybe continuously destroying my cards. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So that was Imperial Settlers from Portal Games. What did you play? So I played. A few. Um, one that I would like to talk about is uh, Imperial Spells and Steam. Do you know it at all? Never heard of it. So it's from designer Trey Chambers from publisher Level 99 Games. It is a train game. So basically you are what they call Technomancers. Technology something mansers. <laughs> um, and you are building a network, basically, and you're doing the standard sort of um, network and route building with the pickup and deliver sort of, you know, elements to it. the thing that's a little weird is even if your trains aren't physically connected on the board, they are connected and the rules say because of magic. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they're connected because of magic. I I don't know how I feel, feel about this game. So it's, it's a modular board. It has a lot of different hexagons. We set it up a little bit wrong, which I don't know how dr- disastrous that was for our game, but it made for a... A different kind of game um i don't normally play these kinds of games so it was it was kind of cool to try it you're getting all these train cars and and the train cars have powers and then you have mana and you have to spend mana to activate the different train cars and then you also have a different like specialists that you some of them are one time only like superpowers and some of them are things that you can activate and then later on refresh so there's a, a lot to consider in this game i thought that The components were beautiful, because it was Brian's copy, and he got the deluxe Kickstarter version, but he didn't have all the deluxe bits, because I guess it was an add-on that was almost as expensive as the game, but it, I mean, I didn't think his copy was disappointing. So, it has, you know, some good production value. It is a little on the expensive side. Um, They are reprinting it through Kickstarter, so... Uh, I looked into it, but I didn't care for it enough to back it. If that says something, mm-hmm. but you know, I will have. I was like, you know, he owns it, so I'll happily play his copy if he wants. But I'm not gonna. I don't really need it for myself.
1: So I have just one question. I, you know, I'm not the, the biggest fan of train games in general. But one of the things that seems cool and interesting in train games is indeed connecting things, right? Building routes and things like that. So, besides the why of it, but how did it feel to play a train game where connections are not that important?
0: So, they're still important. You just, you could bypass spaces, like there were spaces that were like blocked off that you could bypass by spending extra um, mana. There were, you could bypass your opponent's spaces by spending mana. Mm -hmm. So, there was a lot of... Of that, I, you know, I haven't really played that many train games, so I don't really have too, too much to compare it to, Um, but we did play it with two, so, you know, there wasn't very much competition between uh, spaces anyway. the, The skipping over, like, opponent spaces I felt like was more for higher player counts. I mean, it does let you expand a little more quickly, but it the whole point I think is to bypass full spaces, which are where there are already three trains on the space versus just skipping to expand quicker. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it was very different. It, but like I'm saying, because I don't really have much to compare it to, it didn't really affect me. Whereas Brian kept saying, Oh my gosh, this is so weird. This is so weird that like, you can connect all these things. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. What do you think about train games in general? I've, I don't think I've ever played a train game with you. Do um, you own any train games? I don't
1: think so, because I don't own Ticket to Ride, which I don't mind playing. I like the train laying part, and I think that's why I like Ticket to Ride. Mm-hmm. I mostly don't like everything that, comes with it, um, like the economics, the stock, the shares, because usually I want to do either one or the other. Like I know we give you griefs for stockpile, but I actually don't mind stockpile because you're focusing on the stocks, right? Mm-hmm. While in train games is often, okay, if it's a train game, I want to focus on the trains, right? And that's what the beauty of Ticket Ride. I'm just building routes, routes routes uh from from a place to another one um so yeah i have played very few that i liked games that involve trains that's different uh, (laughs) this last saturday as said we didn't play much during the the week but last saturday um we had what I call drafting day. <laughs> so as we discussed in episode one, actually, of our podcast, the first uh, um, episode, we discussed drafting games and I really di- like them. And so we played all of the drafting game that I own. All of them? Well, there are not that many. We played Shadow Throne, Medieval Academy, Seven Wonders, Oceanos, which we had some opposition at be- that being a drafting game, but we, we sold you through. Uh, Treasure Hunter and Draftosaurus.
0: Not seasons. So, um, sorry? Not seasons.
1: Seasons involves drafting like blood rage, right? But then what you do during the game is is not drafting. You draft at the beginning and then you're you done. Uh much like blood rage, the drafting is very important, but then you you have something else. And I won't go obviously in all of them, but it was nice to see how how different and how different depths they they feel. I confirm that. I like the mechanism a lot. It's one of my favorite mechanisms. And I am comparatively not, got, not good at it. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, it's not like I'm horrible at it. I, I'm not saying, oh, I will lose every drafting game I play. Mm-hmm. But definitely I see that as a mechanism on which I could learn a lot. Ryan is particularly good at it. He has been drafting uh, in Magic the Gathering for for decades. And that transferred very well to other games. But it was interesting to see how how different games, uh, to observe them one after the other, how they approach the thing. For example, some games ask you to draft and then play later, like uh, Medieval Academy or Shadow Throne or even Blood Rage others instead drafting is playing like Oceanos or Draftosaurus or Seven Wonders you draft and play immediately and now that changes the dynamics of how important it is to know what's there it was a fun busy day um it confirmed that I like Seven Wonders a lot but I we like almost all of them. Uh, Shadow Throne, uh, which was already on the on the pile, it's an old game uh, from 2015 uh, by Teal Fristo is the designer, and I think that's just what he did. He, he had his own com- publishing company. The graphic design and art is terrible, um, <laughs> which is part of why I think it it really bombed. But the game is not is not bad. The idea behind it is you draft three factions. And playing a card in front of you is both giving you points if that faction wins, but also providing power to that faction and you have incentives to play from different factions because the cost go, goes up if you keep playing the same. And So you're trying to pivot your first draft, but then you're playing some of the cards you drafted, not all of them. And so you're trying to make it so among the three factions, each round is won in a way that you get points and others don't. That idea is very fun, I think. It was very clever. The cards themselves are a little boring, is oh, get one's friend to the faction and two coins. And then there are some super powerful, but they are too expensive, so no one ever plays them. So I think the game had very good ideas, but but it failed. Um I got it. It was a very early uh, copy that they got me for to to do a video review of uh, six years ago. And um I played it, I think, four times and I said that in my review. It was a fine game. The idea was good, but I don't know what what happened of that project. I I don't think it ever got a second edition that it would barely need, but it was interesting to revisit, but it's on my trade pile now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the art looks very sad.
1: Yep. Actually, I think that the art is not great, but what really brings it down is how the art is place on the cards, if you try and focus just on the image of the person on the card Mm -hmm. is not great, but it has its style. The problem is the ensemble of the card looks horrendous. It has this...
0: It's very dark.
1: Yeah, and white on black, which works fine on a screen, but terrible on a card. And the names are so uninspired and the the graphic seems from the eighties. It it was a, an indie production, but unfortunately, that's tough when it is a physical, a physical product, right? To compete with more properly produced games.
0: Mm-hmm. I played, uh, Pex Premiere, Second Edition.
1: Oh, that's why you decided to get it.
0: Yes, this game is fairly simple even though we played it a little bit wrong, (laughs) which (laughs) is always good, right? Which is always good. But what we, we realized that even though we hadn't been playing with those rules, we, it didn't really affect the gameplay that we had. So it was fine. The game itself is very interesting and very complex in the game of itself. I don't know if that makes sense. The mechanisms are simple. It's, You have certain actions that are available to you, which are purchase a card, play a card. You get two of those actions. So you can purchase purchase, play play if you've already purchased cards, purchase them, play the same card in the same turn. Um, It has the uh, sentry spice road kind of mechanic where if you don't want the first one in the row, you have to place, in this case, coins on each card until you get to the one that you want in that row. And then you have limits on like hand size and limits on how many things can be in your tableau or your court. And then there's options to like tax other players if they have cards that are in the same region as you. And there's a lot of, of the. I mean, from that, you would think this sounds like a very simple straightforward game, but it's very, it has a depth that comes from the area majority section on the board. It's it's so good. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I so much so that I yes, I backed John Company and the reprinting of Pax Premier. So I'm it feels like a game that you would have played by now or or have taken an interest to. I'm very interested in
1: both. Um, as I mentioned I think, in the last two episodes as well. It's one of those kind of games that I would love to try, and I probably would like playing a lot, um, but that I assume, and I'm happy to hear that it's different, that the people I play with don't don't like. Because the part that I'm really interested in is the historical part for both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Axe is set in 19th century Afghanistan after the, the collapse of the, the Punjabi Empire. Um, and John Company is about the, the East India Company. And that combined with the fact that is, especially John Company is supposed to be a very interactive negotiation game. Those kind of big games that I want to play with multiple players tend to not be very popular with my, my gaming group even extended, and they are comparatively expensive. Those are the two things that that kept me away. Yeah, I, I had didn't have a chance to try it with with the people I would play them with. Right, they are often present at conventions, mm-hmm. but I'm I am little doubt that I would like it. It's just that I would need to play it with the people I, I'm gonna play it with. Oh, so right, if I try the convention and I like it, and then Anna or Ray, Rachel Ryan or you or Bob or John, whoever I play with don't like that kind of game, even if I try it and like it, that gives me no indication of whether it's a game that I want to own and have. Pax Mamir takes place in um, 19th century Afghanistan and focuses on the collapse of the, I think, the Punjab Empire. Um, and it's based on these cards that you play and uh, the area control most, most importantly. Uh, while John Company, from my understanding, remember that I haven't played either of them, is uh, much more of a negotiation game. It actually sounds very interesting. You have this company that you're running together, but it's not really a semi-coop. The company does what it needs to do. It moves goods, it wages war, and you have people in position of power that benefit and manage the different things. So you might have a regional manager and you might have the uh, chairman of the board and you are promoting your Family members through the the East uh, India Company, and I'm interested in it for two reasons. First, it sounds fascinating to me. I like negotiation that is channeled, right? The negotiation as rules. You can give promises, and you are clear on what you are trading. And second, I like the perspective of the designer. He has worked a lot on on this trying to approach these games with the perspective of a critique of this exploitation of India that uh, funneled the expansion of the British ruling class. Although I wonder how much of that can translate into a game, because you can have all of this good intention of understanding how the market dynamics brought the exploitation of others But in the end, what you're doing is trying to get money from the working of this company and build your castle in England. So I'm not sure the experience of the average user who doesn't read through pages and pages of historical background would be a lot different than all of the other games where you trade goods and and do things to get money, to get points. But contrary to other players, I find them visually fine. They are certainly well-produced. But there are people that are raving about the the physical production of these games. From what I can see,
0: they are fine.
1: Uh, what was your impression
0: with Tamir? The quality is, is very, very high of the components. Um, there are little bricks which stand in for roads or armies. And they are have a nice weight to them. They feel really well produced. Uh, the cards are very, very nice. The dials that you use are nice. I really, really liked it. I thought it was just a really, really solidly produced game. hmm But I overall, I liked it, and I liked it enough to back it, so... So
1: the one thing that makes me a little happier is that while they will be more expensive, but they will both be available from the website after the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So if I finally end up playing them with you and I find that I need to own them, I I will pay more, but I won't have to go pay scalper prices on, on eBay, um, which makes me a little... More comfortable in not backing them, although I also inquired already, saying, "Well, if in three months when the pledge manager opens, I I am crying myself at night, um, sleep, <laughs> can I ask my friend who backed it to add a copy?" And they said it's possible to add them later. So be on the lookout for a desperate text. Okay, in three months Got from it. now. Got it. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to touch upon very quickly is Specter Ops. I brought it back to the table. You Both you and Anna were surprised by uh, hearing that is in the tentative top five of my games of all time, uh, although that changes every time I try to do it. Uh, but, um, but that confirmed it. it. It was I was chasing uh, my, my hunters were chasing Anna's agent, so Specter Ops, which is a, it's a game by Amazon Matsuchi, Dear friend and a great designer and is the ultimate secret movement game for me it's it has a grid it's very simple uh, in the rules you you move four spaces and you mark down where you moved if you are the person running away if you are the people chasing them you have instead miniatures on the board you're trying to find them uh, you only check for line of sight at the end of your turn if you're chasing while you check for line of sight at every step you're taking if you're running away. If you cross a line, you mark that you have crossed, but not where you disappeared, and they they try to find you and shoot you. That part can be a little frustrating because sometimes it comes down to to uh, dice rolls, but in the end usually there is always a moment where you go, oh, that's where you escaped, or vera, when you understood what I was doing there, you closed me in, and I couldn't um, escape. It helps that I'm very good at it, uh, and I understand that that that's in this case, it's part of why I like it so much. It's not always the case, right? For example, I love Rex, and I'm not good at Rex. Um, but in this game, I can see how the fact that it really clicks for me, that I understand how the game works, and that I do very well at it. It's part of the charm. Uh, It feels almost chess-like for me, even if it has a lot of special abilities on the people. And we recently got the expansion Specter Ops Broken Covenant, which is technically a standalone game, but it also merges. And so now we have twice the possibilities for both the runners and the agents. And it was very.
0: I like Specter Ops. haven't played it in a while, but I, I do like it a lot. I think that it is the best hidden movement game I've played, for sure. The only other one that we've I've um, seen played, I haven't played it. Was Nuns on the Run? <laughs> Do you know that at all? Yes,
1: I u- used to own it, and we played it quite a while before giving it away.
0: So that's the only other one that I've seen, and it's it's got humor, whereas this has got a more solid gameplay. I feel like.
1: Yeah, it's a genre that I like, even if it's a little underrepresented. I even like playing the the very... The, so the first game of this kind that I know is uh, Scotland Yard, which is a mass-produced game from the 80s, I think, mm-hmm. or in the 90s, uh, that has basically... You are moving around London and people are trying to to find you. It has... You can move by taxi, bus, or under, um, subway, underground. And... <coughs> You have tickets for that that run out, so you have limitations. Then one that made a big splash were two, actually. One is Fear of Dracula, which is an interesting game, where, though, the on top of the secret movement, there is a lot of actually very interesting things. There are special events, special powers for Dracula, uh, equipment's for for the hunters and when you find them you get into a fighting phase and dracula is leaving around traps for the uh, the vampire hunters so that makes it at the same time a very interesting very unique game and i suggest to everyone to try at least one of the versions the second version was fun but messy Third, third edition is a very good game. Um, maybe not my style, but I played it often. I like it. I play it every time someone wants to play it. I just don't want to own it. But it, it it detracts from from the purity of of um, the work the, the the movement. Another one was um, Letters from Whitechapel, which, mm-hmm. which is very famous. Always uh, mentioned that I have two problems with. One is. Um, you are playing, one of the players is playing Jack the Ripper. Mm. And that's true also of Mr. Jack. But there, the thing is driven by the, the the people you kill, the women you kill. They are placed on pawns on, on the board. And so it drives the team a little too close to home. One thing is, you are Jack the Ripper and you're running away from the police. One thing is, oh look, you murdered two more women in this district and now we're trying to close in on you. That doesn't feel right with me yeah. but that's a very personal thing one thing that I have with the game instead is that the game basically has a play and reset mode you you get information on where Jack the Reapers is and then you start a new night so there are more victims and now you are trying to chase in on that as well and that didn't jive with me that's a a precise and it's not a mistake it's not an oversight that's the design choice of the game is instead of having one big chase you have multiple chases that you're almost uh, closing in that didn't work for me specter ops it it, i really suggest if you are interested in, in in the movement and um it's a game that plays from two to four I think that at two is where it shines. You use the two people, but with three is also fine, although it gets a little longer because then the turn of the hunters, it, it, there is a lot of discussion and conversation. First, it makes the person who's running away feel a little lone, alone. And <laughs> second, it makes it longer, obviously. And uh, it, I don't mind one versus many, but in a game like this where you cannot... Comment on it, right? In in a descent, or uh, the others is like, oh, you will never defeat my monster, or things like that. While here, if you are the person who is secretly moving, you have to sit back and be absolutely silent because you don't want to say anything to the others. And so when they are discussing, you're okay, I'll go have a sandwich, I guess. <laughs> so it really shines at you. But did Anna use the little tokens? To, no, recently she has been wanting to play the, the the agent, the one who runs away. Okay. I don't use the tokens. I find them that in the end they are at the same time a little boring. The tokens to to mark where people could be could
0: be. Um, <laughs> um, I remember at one point we were playing the three of us, and you were like, "You're going to cover the whole board in tokens," and we almost. <laughs> It was so ridiculous. Like, and when I play by myself, I don't ever use the tokens because you just have to think about it, and you have to think about where it could be. Yes, you know, it kind of helps keep a focus, and and you know, but I think that takes a little bit of the fun out of it. It makes it a little bit more mechanical, a little more methodical.
1: I like to use like the mini and the last scene token. Say, okay, I think you're either here or there. Yeah, uh, but. I know that's not what you mean, but I loved when you say when I play by myself, I love the idea of you playing uh, either movement solo, of moving and then saying, Where could he have gone? Yes. (laughs) This could have been very smart. And then uh, you outsmart yourself. That would Mm. be amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's all I've got, folks.
0: All right. So now we're going to be talking about our giveaway. The game in which we are giving away is Offshore. It is from Aporta Games from a few different designers, uh, Bradland Vesson, and Ostby. And it is a network and route building game with a little bit of push your luck. So that is the game we are going to be giving away. It is not actually available yet in the US through the normal uh, distributor. So this could be an opportunity for you to get your hands on a rare game. In order to enter this contest, you must like the post on Board Game Gambit Instagram referring to this contest. You also need to follow the Board Game Gambit Instagram and then for a comment, we would like you to put whatever game that we have talked about in any of our episodes. That you enjoy any game that we have mentioned just put that in the comments and that's it so like subscribe and comment and then you are entered and we will randomly pick a winner and i will mail them off this copy of offshore and you will have
1: time until may 10th for this
0: so so now we would like to talk about our in-depth game review which is Paleo? Paleo is from Peter Rustmeyer from Hans Gluck Games. It is a cooperative game in which we are different humans. Yes, who who are uh, we're, we're different groups of humans, uh, prehistoric humans who are trying to establish a legacy for themselves and the legacy is represented by a cave painting which you uh, get little pieces of if you do something significant in the game
1: well it it plays mostly with cards um it's again like you were saying trying to get to the legacy before you die too many times because you, you give in to despair because you can get that if you are not fed you can get that uh, the despair if someone dies but there are different ways, basically if if you don't meet something that you need to be happy, having enough food, having shelter, things like that the game has this very innovative, I think, mechanic in which you basically work through a deck of cards for each player deck of cards by drawing the top three cards and looking only at the back of them, choosing where to go and you can go to the mountain, you can go to the forest, you can go back to to camp you can sometimes get lost in the snow you can go up the river but that's the back of the card the front is different and there are certain things that can be expected like often cards in the forest will give you the ability to cut down trees or collect berries or get fruit but sometimes you may find a dangerous animal and vice versa down the river you might find animals but sometimes you can get caught in the stream Um, and in the mountains. And some of these are actually in the game, others I'm making up. In the mountains, you can find uh, a lion, a mountain lion or an avalanche or a weird traveler. And when you go back to camp, you can build inventions a la Robinson Crusoe a little bit, or you can uh, find new people that want to join your tribe. But the more people you have, the more food you need. And you work through these decks and each of those entire decks is a day. And then you have a night phase in which you basically have to pay resources. And you are sometimes in these uh, cards, you will find cards that let you put uh, a piece of the painting, of the king painting on the board. The trick of the game is that when you reveal one of these things, you have a certain amount of skills that you need to overcome a challenge. For example, you need a certain amount of fighting skills to kill a mammoth, or you need a certain uh, kind of attention to find things that are lost and things like that. And each character that you have, you start with two characters each, and then you can add to them uh, by building equipments or by finding new people. You have a pool of abilities, and if your pool is not enough to overcome your challenge, and you are not in danger, you can choose to help someone else. So for example, if you're fighting a lion, you either defeat it, maybe with the help of someone else, but if you cannot, you have to suffer the consequences. But if you are trying to collect berries and you see someone else need, needs help, you can join them. And which simply means in practical terms, certain cards have a uh, help option with which you can lend your abilities to someone else. And that's basically the co- cooperative part of the game. The nice thing is that since you don't know exactly what the cards will do, you have at one point a certain level of necessary autonomy. You cannot coordinate everything. At one point, sure, you can go to the mountain and try to find stone, or you can go to the river and try to find food. But you have to choose. You're also trying to uh, to manage danger, which you know they will be coming and at some point you will need to face. And you, you play until you either complete the legacy or you die. That's more or less a description of of the game. There are a couple of other things. For example, how you prepare these decks. There are basic cards that are in every game. And then there are modules that give you a feeling of certain things. Like the basic two that you play the first game with is finding shelter and exploring the world. And then you have things about the snowstorm, a thing about heroes and things like that. And you have different cards that get shuffled in so that the game stays fresh and at the first few times you play, you also have a discovery effect. What do you think is the main hook of this game? Why would someone look into this game rather than another one?
0: I think that the mechanism of, like you said, the card back not exactly relaying what is happening on the front is very different. I don't think I've ever played a game like that where you have some information and like a likelihood of what to expect from that, but not a hundred percent perfect information. So I feel like that is what really draws me to the game, which interestingly enough, Scott didn't particularly care for.
1: It's very unique. (laughs) I think in general, I think that... Well, these are not locations because you have your deck and then you choose where to go. But the idea of cards simulating locations is not used enough. There is another cooperative game, the Pathfinder card game, where you build locations and you know the composition of the deck. Like there are five monsters, three spells, two barriers, things like that. And that's still Mm -hmm. very unused in other games. That's a, a very simple way to simulate there is a certain preponderance of certain things. Like in the forest, there are more animals, but you're not sure. Here, the location is by the back, but it's still the same idea, right? Out of all of the forest cards that, sure, they're not in a pile, they're mixed in the piles, but in the forest, there are a lot of animals, there are some berries, and there are some dangers. And this very simple fact of you have information, whether it is a pile or in this game, the back, but not sure so you can rely on it to a point I think it's very charming and I can see this if I don't know if this game is doing well or not but I can see this being used a in games that are not necessarily cooperative for example I have long thought since playing Pathfinder of a game where you go explore islands, and in the islands you find things, and so you know, okay, that island has a lot of warriors, and this island has a lot of monsters, and this island has a lot of resources. Do I want to travel to the island that is most peaceful? But also, even in the uh, cooperative space, there is a lot more than you could, or a lot different that could be done. But the way this works is I think that that moment of choice is always interesting. And it was interesting even when replaying the same scenario. I played the same scenario that I have played with you, with Anna, uh, with just Anna. And uh, uh, even if we knew what kind of cards could be there, right? We didn't have the surprise of the first time you play. But it's still, okay, we know that this could be a cave. But will it be the big cave that needs a lot of torches to be explored? Or is the small cave that I can do on my own? Because if it's the small cave, I can do it right away. If it's the big one, we have to wait. And so there is a little bit of push your luck. So even when you play a new scenario, you go through the same deck multiple times. So it's not that it's all random. After the first pass of the deck, you start knowing some of the cards. So you go, okay, we need to prep because when that card comes out, we need to have these instruments, these tools. So now instead of going to the mountains, I will go to the town and build the tools. And I think it's it's a fascinating mechanism. What about theme and components?
0: So I feel like the theme is really cute because you are, it's tied into the cards. So it's like you are these prehistoric humans, these cave people looking for different things, trying to get wood and and do this. So you're like, okay, well, I think I have an idea. You know, I can go to this area and I probably will get what I need. But the, again, the card back mechanism, it really ties that all in for me. It's exploratory, which is a lot of fun in a co-op because it feels like you are trying to make choices that are good and positive, but... It doesn't always turn out exactly how you want it to, so it can sometimes feel a little frustrating, but that's good in a co-op. I feel like to have, you know, a little bit moment of, of, oh, I'm not, you know, I was expecting this, but this is what happened. So it feels like a challenge. It feels like you are definitely, you know, working towards something, working towards completing the painting, working towards every night you have to rest and you have to feed your people. And if you don't, you have penalty of this despair. Or if you, there are other things that you are required of you each night, and if you don't have that, then you have despair. So there's a lot of different elements to it that I think are just really charming and cute.
1: Yes, I think that the theme resonates with me also because it's unique. The only other game that I have that is prehistoric, base without dinosaurs so prehistoric humans (laughs) is um lasco but that's very abstract it it refers to the Lascaux paintings and it's basically a set collection game it has no theme whatsoever it's just a graphic design choice and the components i think they are very well done the art is fine the cards are high quality it also includes a, a structure where you put cards that you invented i think it's too much there is too much of a good thing. It's a carbo structure that has no reason to be there. Uh, but the rest of the components, like the tokens are nice. Uh, it includes, in the retail version, little shaped wooden resources, which it's, it's something that we're getting more and more used to. But five years ago, it would have been a, a premium component. Cube. Yeah. Uh, or or yeah. cubes in, in most games, yes. Yeah. But I think it, it, it works. Pace and Arc... So the pace is very, very simple. You look at the back of these three cards and you choose one. And not only the choice is limited, but also you don't have perfect information. So there is no possibility for analysis paralysis. And also, again, sure, you discuss and you can go well, we need stones, someone should go to the mountains. But since you don't know exactly what you're going to find, sometimes you also want someone to help someone else. So there is a lot of, okay, I'll I'll do this. And usually the decision is solved in a matter of a few seconds, like 10, 15 seconds, not minutes. Uh, Then when you reveal the card, there is a little more to decide But again, you have to deal with the skills and the resources that you have. So usually there are two or three combinations of I can help you, you can help them. Or instead, I do my own thing and they help you. Uh, So the pace is quick. The arc in the games that I played, it went well, it went fine. I feel like it could stall because if you get to a place where you have enough food and enough things to survive the night, if you, like, have to go through all of it a third or a fourth time because maybe the cards... Of, uh, there is a mechanism by which often you pay for things that you're doing by discarding cards from top of your deck. And if that sends to the discard the cards that you need to win the game, you I can see happen that you are in a place where you're not losing because you're still finding the food, you're finding shelter, you're finding everything that you need to survive. But now you have to go through the deck once again. Uh, this is made simpler by the fact that you are depleting the resources. So at one point, if you don't win, you will start having problems with food and shelter because you are cutting down trees and killing animals. So they're not around anymore. But I can see the pace getting a little bugged down. So the pace is good, but the arc could could come into the stopping the pace, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the the pace of the game is super quick. Like, it, it, it is a very simple decision because you have some information, but not all of the information. So uh, you just kind of have to hope for the best. <laughs> um, when Scott and I played we had a few problems. Problem one was we played with four groups, which killed us very quickly because we didn't have enough food to survive the night, and we didn't have... The, the thing that compounded that problem was um, when we put the game away from us playing it to when Scott and I played it, we left out one card... <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, and the one card was the... It was a thing that you uncover. I don't want to spoil it for people who might play it, but it was a thing that you uncover that maybe helps you defeat animals more easily. Oh. And so not only do we have more people, but we also didn't have a way of getting more food because we didn't have enough spears to... Kill. Kill anything, so it just kind of compounded the issue, and we died before the second night even happened. So,
1: so the arc resolved the pace in that game.
0: <laughs> so,
1: strategy and most importantly replayability. I mean, strategy. If I must be honest, I don't think there is much of a strategy. It's a very tactical game. You you flip the cards, yeah. see what you can do. You have to keep in mind a little bit. Oh, when that car comes out, you you need this. But there is not. You don't have different strategies that you can pursue. You have to survive and you have to resolve things. Um, what do you think? I know that you have played it only a couple of times, but what do you think about replayability?
0: I have a pretty good memory, and you also have a pretty good memory. So going into the same module um, especially within you know a week or two of each other I knew where things were like I knew that in this, with this back with this it really meant that we needed to have this kind of resource to overcome the challenge so it made it less, Charming for me, than the first playthrough. The first playthrough was like, "What do we do? What's going on? Where do we go? How do we solve this?" And the second playthrough was like, "Okay, so we need to go here. We need to." And and Scott was sometimes like, "Why do we need that?" I was like, "Because it's this thing. It's this kind of a thing that we need to, you know, resolve to get a cave painting piece or what have you." So I feel like at least immediate replayability of the same modules are not really feasible mm-hmm. because it would just feel like more of the same. And part of the charm and the the feeling of freshness of this game is in that first playthrough where you're trying to, you know, suss out what what kind of cards you need to pursue in order to resolve the cave painting or to uncover the, the different secrets that are in the different modules. So I think that that loses it a little bit for me, you know, maybe in a few months, if I, I revisited the first module again, I would completely forget, but maybe not because the part of it was, given in clues on the backs of the cards and the first playthrough that we did we were like what does that mean what could it mean we don't know and the second playthrough i was like okay well this is what it means so it felt a little different i think
1: that more than chronological distance it would help if you played through the other modules so i think if you replay it like in three months but you play the same module you will remember quite a bit while if you instead like even i i played four modules four levels each level uses a couple of modules and there are 10 levels in total but there are only eight modules that you can mix and match and i think that playing to a different module makes way more to confuse your memory of what's what than than time because now is oh wait was this symbol from when there was a cave or when we found the encampment or when we found the house of this other person. And was Mm -hmm. this the person that becomes one of our allies or the person that leads us astray or the person that is wounded that we need to help, right? Things like that. (laughs) Um, I think that the discovery is certainly very fun. And if discovery is what someone looks for, they will have the 10 levels, the 10 games and then probably they could replay it maybe once, which is already you are getting pushing a dozen games. That for for some games it's a lot, uh, but I, I having replayed the first one, it gives you a different experience. You can focus on being efficient. I actually really liked replaying the the one that we had played together, and yeah, mm-hmm. we knew almost exactly what we needed to do, but so we were. Both of us very focused. Okay, so we wait. Don't flip that card until we have spears and don't flip that card until we have suns that are the, the, the searching uh, thing. And that changes completely the spirit of the game. Obviously, it goes from a charming exploration game to a very methodical. Okay, let's get to resources and do it. <laughs> but it, it can be interesting. I found it. It's almost like it's two games in one, right? Obviously, though, if I think it loses that, oh, I can show it to, 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 to people for the story, right? Right now, if I have to replay the first episode, that does nothing for the story for me. Yeah. Although you will see that that's also the more basic one. There are others where the story is told also through what you do and not just through the discovery. And so that will be a little more more interesting, I think. Trying to bring this to to the end um designer and artist do you know who designed it i mean i I guess we can find it easily designer was peter rustfire and what else have they designed barbaria he designed barbaria which i've never heard of and that by looking at it i don't wanna hear about
0: it (laughs) oh it doesn't look that bad
1: oh oh no it looks real bad i mean there are but, well, to be fair, they are very equitable. There are there are very quasi naked women and very quasi naked men. Uh, this is very.
0: There's a picture with like a thong on it.
1: Um. Yeah. That this,
0: if you pass. Okay.
1: Yeah. This is. I think this is one of those things where even reading in the comments, they were trying to be ironic about the fact that in fantasy depiction, people are often quasi naked. Uh. But it doesn't come out ironic, it comes out like inappropriate, I think. But uh, okay, and the, most importantly, the game doesn't look anything interesting, but definitely solid. So, uh, I almost want to say solid first, uh, first, <laughs> first game, <laughs> even if it's not the first game. The artist is Dominic Meyer, he did a very good. Good job. And I'm not surprised. He has worked on a lot of big projects. He's the guy Mm -hmm. behind Concordia, the Artemis project. I see he has worked with with Wizard of the Coast. And most importantly for an artist, I think, is the artist for the new ISS Vanguard or one of the artists for the new ISS Vanguard um, by uh, Awakened Realms. And anyone who has seen... Aetherfields or Nemesis or all of those knows that regardless what you uh, can like of one or another game for example I didn't particularly like Aetherfields but the illustrations are fantastic and ISS Vanguard was sold I think to people almost exclusively on the base of, of the art so Dominic Meyer definitely a solid artist. Final thoughts and comparison. We have talked a lot about it. I don't again, with the exception of Pathfinder, but that was a different mechanism. I have no no other game that works like this.
0: Yeah, no, me neither. I think that's kind of fun because I feel like we, we often pick games to discuss that we feel are sort of like stand out in their own right. And I feel like we have games that, are unique for some reason or another sure they may have elements of of different games or or what have you but we both of our collections seem to have very you know distinct games that are very specific if that makes sense
1: yes i i think that that's that's true but this also has a feeling that is unique because as i was saying uh, when we were doing our top 20 of 2020 in um, season, episode 1 of the new of season 2 um, for example Tekken is a game that i like a lot i played it again this week i didn't mention it because we have talked so much about it before i love it and there are certain some mechanisms there innovations but as a feeling it gives me that reliable feeling of a nice mid to heavy or mid weight euro uh, that engages my mind in a strategic way and i have different action to choose but while some mechanisms are new the feeling is a reliable feeling that i want while this Mm -hmm. the feeling of this game is also unique and um and that's something that i really liked
0: i actually also really like this it is one of the few co-ops that i will happily play (laughs)
1: In the end, I really liked Paleo. It's it's a very charming, uh, family-oriented cooperative game that has a strong exploration feeling, uh, an underused theme and delivers a story with some interesting choices in a reasonable playtime. It's easy to explain, uh, although the rules are not maybe the best, but it's easy to explain once you know it you can play through different scenarios that bring forth different stories. Uh it's charmingly illustrated and plays in about an hour. And I really liked it for a light cooperative experience.
0: So moving on into our theme of the day. Western theme games. Pew pew That was my sad attempt at a gun. Um <laughs> so what draws you to western game western themed games do you are you more attracted to western themed games do you look for western themed games
1: so i was wondering uh when we decided to to do this list and thinking of how compared to how much uh, historically it has been a, a popular theme in media and movies and things like that, how underrepresented they are in board games. I think part of it is that um, often the stories take place on the background of an expanded world with wars and things like that, but often about a single um, exceptional character, right? The maverick gunslinger or the heroic...
0: Cowboy. F- uh,
1: yeah. Lone Ranger and things like that. And that doesn't necessarily translate very well to, to a game that where you have different people that are supposed to interact often uh, in a way. Uh, and also in Western movies, interactions tend to be very resolutive, right? When there is a conflict, it's usually the two gunslingers and one is dead. So that doesn't translate necessarily that well into a game where you want multiple points of interaction uh, between players. I wonder if it's a theme that both in the general culture and in gaming culture suffers from some of the, um, let's say, old regressive themes, um, mostly only male protagonists, uh, the the non-Europeans uh, and Native American seen often as the enemy and things like that. Uh, and but there are some that I like. It's it's also Um, interesting how there are some that are very popular and I do not like, but I think that that's, and it's nothing to do with the theme, but that's to do more with the, with the, with the mechanics. I will start with, with one that is very popular and that didn't work for me. I think I haven't checked, but I really think it's probably the highest ranked, uh, Western game. Um, no, no, maybe maybe one of the ones I like is is higher, but is Carlson City. So I play Carlson City only once. So take this with a with a grain of salt. But this is a game where you are building a city and uh, you have a certain worker placement like interactions that can be resolved with a shootout. I think that the problem I had with it is that. This feeling of the shootout to resolve worker placement, which we will, as I will mention, it's also in a game that I didn't mind. It's problematic in a game that is very involved. Carlson City is a serious euro, uh, not a light little thing, and is by the designer of Trois. So probably I have design difference, design issues with, with this designer because that's the problem that I had with TRA as well, that having a strong randomness element through dice in a game that is otherwise a very busy Euro doesn't work <clears throat> well for me. Have you seen or played Carson
0: City? No, but I actually really like the designer. So you should try it.
1: Uh, I know that you you don't mind trying new games online from time to time. You should try that. I don't know if yeah. it's available, but that's the the main one that I know it's very popular and I don't particularly like.
0: I have one. Go ahead. It's ranked 248 overall, and it was a miserable experience for me.
1: That's higher. <laughs> that's higher than Castle City and everything else I was thinking of. What is it? Western Legends. Ooh, that was one that I wanted to mention as not having tried. You didn't like it?
0: Oh, it was so bad. So I feel like I say this almost every episode, but as you know, I normally play games in two players. This game is. I don't want to disparage people from trying it, but if you're thinking about trying it with two players, don't. Don't do it. Pick something else. Stare at each other for two hours and you'll feel better <laughs> than playing this game. This feels almost like a Jackie judgment
1: of a game.
0: <laughs> so there is an automata mm-hmm. in and this this is where some of my deep, deep-seated hatred for automatas comes from it is i forget what they call him but he's the bot he's some s- some bad guy that comes around and does stuff he does things from a random deck the random deck randomly put this person where i was 80 to 90% of the time the whole game so the other person who was doing something completely different than me was Roaming around, gathering their resources, having fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm getting annihilated by this random player. So it was horrendous. I think that if I had played it with three people, um, I would have a very different view of the game. I really liked. Um, there are cards that have like different faces on them, and they're used for for duels and. You collect different resources, and you travel around the board, and it it has a lot of the makings of things that I really enjoy. Just the automata with the two-player turned me off enough that the mechanisms that I enjoyed did not save the game for me. It did not bring me back to wanting to try it, and it is a banned word in my game room, Western Legends.
1: I think... Well, first, that did sound very. I mean, it makes sense that you wouldn't like having a powerful enemy coming and trumping you automatically, basically. But I think that this is this is at the same time a game that I would really like to try, and I don't think I would love. But for it's one of those things, not that I think are flaws of the games, but I am always very drawn and then end up not liking. Sandbox games. With uh-huh. sandbox, people mean a game where you can do anything that you feel you should be able to do in that setting. Uh, one of the most famous Zaya, Legends of the Drift system that is a space game. And this is a Western game, Western Legends, so you can rob the train, and th- then there are also multiple modules and expansions. So I I have seen a lot of things, I don't know what's in the base game or not, but you can rob people you can rob the train you can mine gold at the mine you can build buildings in the city you can play poker at the saloon you get can uh, defend or rob the stagecoach you can collect bounties on criminals or you can be a criminal and have a bounty on you yourself you can work with the marshal or kill the marshal and all of these things you can help the Native Americans or be fought by the Native Americans and things like that. So you have a lot of things, a lot of interactions that are possible. But usually these games lose focus for me a little bit and they are not cooperative, right? All of this is perfectly fine in cooperative games. That's a little bit of what you do in Eldritch Horror. You go around and see what happens and things like that. But I would really like to to try it. It's also a game that is distributed mostly through Kickstarter or direct sales. Mm-hmm. So that's also why I never went around and, and tried it. It's a game that has a lot of upfront learning. So it's not very easy for me to pick it up in at a convention, read through the rules and then teach it to someone. But it's, it's interesting. Another one that I have not tried that deserves to be mentioned because I like the series a lot is Tiny Epic Westerns. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Tiny Epics a lot, but Tiny Epic at Westlands works around poker hands in the game. And while I really like poker on its own devices, um, I, I didn't play it a ton, but I really like poker played uh, in competitive ways. I find games that use poker as a mechanism to be absolutely not, not interesting. Um, so I never tried that so i am now realizing while i keep thinking about it that i have actually played a lot of games that were western themed but didn't feel western i played for example dice uh, dice town or something like that which is basically a set collection you roll dice and you can spend them in different ways and it was a fine game but it didn't feel western at all like you can use a straight to get money at the saloon or you could get a pair and get points at the mine, and that that didn't feel anything like that. Anything else that you want to mention before we get into our top three? No. Okay, so start us off.
0: Number three for me is Coloma. Coloma is by designer Johnny Peck, from artist Michalo Dmitrievieski. And published from Final Frontier Games. It is an interesting game where you're choosing actions simultaneously. And if you go to the one where the most people are, then you bust. And you don't get the bonus action that's associated with your space. That is the part that I think makes it my third and not higher. Because it can be a little frustrating for people who go to the same spot go to the same spot go to the same spot and then they're not getting those bonus actions which get you know more and more important as the game goes on and you can come to rely on them for things that you need to get done in the game i remember you playing it with us and not particularly being either way about it
1: uh, yes, for we discussed it both in episode 15 and 16 of season one. Uh, it's the opening game in both both uh, episodes for people who want to go uh, listen to it more extensively. Yeah, I, I this was not a game that I hated. It was fine. Um, there were a lot of things that you were doing that were fine, but nothing that really thrilled me, specifically because the main mechanism, the one that should be the main hook, Worked very well for me. I was very lucky. I was kept doing everything and no one ever interfered with me. But I didn't feel like I was very smartly outplaying the other players. It was just, oh, Nathan went to the same space as Anna and Scott went to a third space so it didn't interfere with me. That's convenient. And after a while you have stuff and so at some point you can start doing oh i don't need that i know they do need that so i will go elsewhere but you can only do that if you were lucky early on it's a beautifully produced game by the way the the artist is uh, known also as uh, demico and he's the guy who did all of the west kingdom series and all of that oh really yeah but but yeah coloma was was a uh, a pass for me which it was good because otherwise I would have to chase down the copy because the components are excellent (laughs) my number three is a game that I think I it has a place in my heart that is disproportionate to its actual value as a game but it's also very 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 popular game which is Bang I played Bang a ton uh, when I was in my early 20s before discovering the larger breadth of modern board games it was Arkham or Pillars of the Earth and Bang for different kind of crowds and we played a lot of it. Bang is a very simple card game. You draw two cards on your turn and you can shoot at people at your right and left or you can play guns that let you reach people that are farther than your right and left. You can play things that help you defend yourself from hits. You are trying to kill uh, other people. The one thing that makes Bang, I think, not uh, such a great game is that it has a ro- hidden role element which is, sounds very interesting. You have the, the sheriff that is only the only public role and then you have outlaws that are trying to kill the sheriff, the deputy who is trying to help him and the renegade that wants to kill everyone but the sheriff lost. The problem is that once you play that a, a lot, you realize that the right play for the outlaws rather than stay hidden and risk being killed by mistake and then playing in lower numbers is to start shooting at the sheriff and hope that you can kill him before he builds up his strength. And so that breaks the game a little bit. Actually, I recently have been playing, recently meaning the last three years, when we play Bang, we play two players, which is not in the rules, is a variant, um, not a particularly clever variant. We, we just started playing two players and adapted the rules that we... We needed, but it is a sign of how luck driven we feel it is that we basically don't particularly care who wins of the two players, but the wins of the two characters. We have tournaments among the characters and we mark who's winning what. We have uh, round robins, we have direct elimination. And it's fun, but it's almost as looking at the game playing itself. That's the thing about Gigabang. Ge- bang. It's very rarely a choice of what is the best play. The only part of what is the best play would come from the secret role thing. And that didn't work for me, but it has a very dear place in my heart. I think the dice game is slightly better. But when that came out, I was basically done with this. If someone is listening and wants a fun, fast, and fun game in in the Western setting, I suggest going for Bang the Dice game over the one that I chose, Bang the Card Game.
0: Did you see that they made Bang the Duel specifically for two players?
1: Uh, I did not. I should check it out and then not buy it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so that was Bang from Emiliano Siari from... Lots of different publishers.
1: Emiliano Sciarra. Yes. The original publisher is uh, Da Vinci Giochi, Dv Giochi.
0: Anyhow, what's
1: your number two?
0: My number two is Cult Express, which is from Christoph Rainbolt from Asmodee. This one is Asmodee. And Cult Express is about a train robbery and you are different bandits on a train trying to steal the most loot from the train avoid the sheriff and not have the most bullets or slash be dead
1: (laughs) no because you don't let me implement that rule
0: but i mean it's the same can you even win with a ton of bullets not really if you get them late yes well the thing that i like about it is the the way in which you play your actions they're either played face up or face down in turn order, so you sometimes will have a little bit of information, knowing what other people are doing. Just, but just because you know what they're doing doesn't mean you know like what direction they're moving or things like that. It's a little chaotic, which is why it's you know uh, on the lighter end. Um, you can't really have too much strategy going into this game, but I enjoy it. I think it's it's cute. The three D train is probably the best part of it it doesn't come with a board per se it comes with a train that you are moving around on yeah and
1: yeah and i think you're absolutely right that it's a programming game but that doesn't have uh, that uh, heaviness of i need to program everything perfectly because you only program what kind of action you're doing like you program a moving action you program a shooting action don't program I will move to card two and shoot into card three. Right. And so you are trying, it's more of a guessing what other people are doing than programming in a robo rally or exceed it formal way. Or oh, now I need just to resolve the plan. So you, you program by playing cards in a common deck, but then we resolve them, you still have some agency. And so it is a little lighter, it's a little simpler. Um, and there is a lot of shooting at Nathan. That's true.
0: Yes, unless you punch the air.
1: Oh, that's that's very fun. But but that's again that's uh, actually a smart thing <laughs> of the game. If you see someone playing a punch, not every card you, that people put you can see, but most you do. And so if you know that someone is uh, playing a punch, you make want to be sure not to be next to them when they resolve the punch. And so there is. planning, but there is also resolving in the right way. My number two is a game that I don't own anymore, but that I think when we are talking about Western games is very up there. And I I liked it, just my group didn't love it, and so we had many other games. Is Deadwood by Loic Lamy, who also did uh, Mafia de Cuba for... Dusk Games with designer Michael Coimbra, who work on Seven Wonders, Small World, Battle, or Sickles, uh, you name it, is one, uh, I think one of the great um, game illustrators. And Deadfoot is, remember when I was saying that Carson City is a worker placement that is big and elaborate, and then is resolved sometimes by fighting this is the same but is on the lighter end of the spectrum so that when you go and fight and you lose your cowboy and you don't take the action the game is over in 45 minutes and that's the crux of the game you do it multiple times in a turn and you simply go with your big cowboy and you shoot and the train is coming into town and destroying buildings so it has this charming charming fun and fast experience. You have bullets that you can spend to add to your die. The combats are very easily resolved. It's the role of a die. So it has that interaction that I don't like in heavy and involved games like Carson City, like Dwellings of Everdale. This is on the opposite end. The The worker placement part is very simple. Is go here, get three coins. Go here and get one coin for each warrant you have here you can give someone else a warrant and here you can bullet bullets so all very simple very immediate actions there are no tracks no cards collection nothing like that you're just getting money getting rid of warrants on you and you are uh, collecting things to fight and getting new workers and things like that and it plays in under an hour and i think it's it's a good version of the focus on the city that is growing kind of Western approach.
0: I remember playing this game with you, one of our earlier games that we've played together, and I remember thinking it was okay. I don't remember the dice part of it. Is that to resolve fights?
1: Yeah, you, you do it. All, I think no turn goes, no round goes over without without that. You basically have three sides of cowboys. The young cowboy that is a one, the medium cowboy that is a two, and the expert cowboy that is a three. And if I want to go where you are, we roll that many dice uh, and we look at the highest die, something like that, and they can either be wounded or killed, but in either case, the loser goes away and you take the spot and then there is a sheriff that you have a grid of buildings and the sheriff's blocks three buildings the buildings around him basically and mm-hmm. so controlling the sheriff is also important
0: we should play that again
1: i don't own it anymore
0: <gasps> shame
1: no one wanted to play it and so i gave it away i am trying to be very insistent in not having games that i don't
0: play mm, you should pass that on to me i i I would like to catch that fever of getting rid of games. I,
1: wanna, I want you to catch th- that fever in regard to John Coleman. Um <laughs> I will do a, a, a subtle uh, psychological campaign. So what is your number one, since you already went through both Coloma and Colt Express?
0: Uh, it is ranked 11 overall and the ninth in strategy. So it's a popular choice. What is it? Great Western Trail. Oh fair, fair. Great Western Trail is what I wanted Western Legends to be like. Because you still have well, I mean, that's the level of sandbox that I want. It has a lot of different a lot of different cool things that you can do, but you still have some sort of focus. There's still something that you're actually trying to do. So, in Great Western Trail, you are herding cattle from texas to kansas city and then you send them off by train and then you get money in points and you do it again and again and again and again and again (laughs) so you are getting different workers to help you either to move a train farther or to sell cows for more money or what the last person does but uh you're collecting all these different specialists and it's all the specialist track is also like the um, timer of the game where you can buy specialists from so there's a lot of different elements on this there's hand management because you have the different cows that you can sell along the way for certain things and there's so much going on it's but it's it's very 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 good game very solid and a lot of people like it so there's that um that's from alexander fister from Plan B, probably, or Pegasus Spiel?
1: Yeah, it used to be published by Stronghold in the US, but it reverted to Plan B, and they are bringing out a new edition, new fancier edition.
0: Three new editions.
1: Oh, fair enough. Yes. Um, I liked it. I loved the idea of herding cattles. Uh, that, That was actually what I liked, bringing the cows up and choosing my cows and... The train i remember some frustration is that it's a game that has a ceiling to success you you have a certain amount of discs that you can use for uh getting more and more points but at one point if you're doing too well you run out of discs and then you get bored for the last round but but it was it was fine i didn't feel very westerny to me um because sure you are collecting cows that part was fun but the rest is you are just going through a cycle of doing the same thing. But it does a train, which is always good in Western games. Speaking of, my number one is also called Express. Um, uh, I really like it. I like, as you know, I like the chaos that it induces. The rule that no one ever wants me to, to implement is that I really strong feel, uh, strong, uh, feel strongly that shooting is much more important than being shot at which is weird in a in a game about people shooting at each other um, meaning that you want to shoot because you want to be the the best shooter that comes with a thousand dollars score out of usually a winning score of three thousand so it's a significant thing but getting shot only s- slows you down. And I would like to borrow something from Dr. Nizia in these games and say that when you're playing with five or six players, not with four, the player who ends up being shot the most, also because there are neutral things that can shot at you if you're not careful, scores zero. Like in many games, you have, if you have the most of something, you score zero. But no one ever wants to implement that.
0: I don't want to play it because I would always be dead or score zero. But then you could be
1: annoyed for a good reason to people. Like, you killed me. Um, no. one thing that I want to say, we have talked about the mechanism of the game, about the theme, I I like, and that speaks of how difficult I find to integrate these Western themes. The one that I consider most successful zooms in, right? Instead of going the Western legend or even the Coloma approach of, you can do everything. You can mine and you can fight the bandits and you can ship um, things, but you can also build buildings. This instead goes the opposite direction. It takes one element, the iconic robbing the train, which is the first one of the first movies ever made, uh, The Great Train Robbery, and it's certainly the first Western movie ever made, and it shrinks it down to just that. You are already on the train at the beginning of the game, and you are on the train at the end of the game, and you are simply trying to shoot at each other through the wagon, avoiding the marshal, collecting stuff. The expansion's add a little bit, like you can run alongside the train with the horse and there is a stagecoach, but the train is still the main focus of the narrative, the main focus of the game, the main focus of the space. I like how clearly it was a game designed also with the theme in mind because there are a bunch of rules that would need incredible rethinking if you were to move it away from a train like the fact that you get pushed back or the fact that you can move to the to the top floor and then back in or that you're moving card from from car to cart and you can shoot in that next card and it's very cinematic when I punch you not only you drop something but you can punch into the next train car and I really like it the characters are very iconic the art helps the art is fantastic and that's all I have, I really, really like Cult Express.
0: So yeah, is there anything that you are looking forward to?
1: So we're getting very close to Ankh, uh, Yes, and that's that's absorbing my my thoughts. I have really been liking what I see of the reworking of of it, um, mm-hmm. and I can't wait to play it. It will probably arrive when we can finally gather together and be more than three or two. Um, but also I don't think it will need a large number necessarily. I think it works with three as well, and that's very good. And I look forward to you getting John Company. All all jokes aside, I, I can't wait to, to try it. It looks fantastic.
0: That is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to PAX Premiere to getting my own copy of it, because I feel like there's so much in that game. There's so much to explore. The The theme is so rich and the the gameplay was so captivating i guess is the right word for me
1: would you teach it to me yeah so that brings us to the end of our episode seven as usual thank you for listening remember to to check instagram for the the contest for this time it's instagram only we'll see if uh, to expand it on to other channels in the future thank you very much for listening, for sending comments, for liking, subscribing, following, and all of those internet thingamajigs that get repetitive, but that are important and appreciate. I Nathan, thank you. As usual, it has been a pleasure uh, talking about on the West, uh, the Wild Wild,
0: Old Wild West, West Wild West, something like that. <laughs> yes, as always, thank you so much, everyone. And... We look forward to giving away Offshore. That's it. (laughs) Bye-bye everybody. Goodbye.